So again, welcome. Today's speaker is Derek Lamel. Derek is a fluke if I could talk today, <laughs> a fluke reliability engineer, certified ARPE, and a U.S. Navy veteran. Derek provides condition monitoring solutions to customers utilizing industry 4.0 platform IIoT, analyzes and diagnoses cloud-based and route-based predictive monitoring solutions for industrial applications, say that fast five times, <laughs> has managed and utilized various reliability programs such as vibration anal analysis, infrared thermography, and oil analysis in support of continuous improvement of 83 industrial gas plants in the Midwestern United States. All right, you're here for exploring online, offline, and remote condition monitoring with Derek Lamel. Derek, take it away. Thank you, Robin. Good, uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, I guess uh, my introduction uh, actually uh, Robin's has done for me. So all of my uh, vibration analysts out there, all my reliability engineers, uh, good morning. And uh, I'm glad that you were able to join this webinar. Uh, some of the stuff there, some of the things that I wanna go over in this presentation today is basically all about condition monitoring, who needs it and uh, what it is, and also what kind of condition monitoring or remote condition monitoring actually we do here at Fluke. And I have a couple case histories that I'll go over. So uh, I'm gonna go ahead and just, go, just jump right into the first one. And I'm gonna jump in with the poll question here. What practices should we be considered or should be considered a priority before starting a condition monitoring program? Uh, if you see my responses below, if just curious to throw that out there to see uh, what kind of crowd that we're, we have here. So if you don't mind going in the chat uh, uh, area and answering the questions. Hey, Robin, are you seeing the answers come in? I am seeing a few answers that are coming in in the question section, not so much in the chat section. Okay. Looks like most everything answer that I'm seeing is A. Okay, we'll give it. 30 more seconds. Oh, I apologize. You're, you're probably seeing it now too. We're seeing lots of Fs. Okay. A's and Fs, lots of Fs. Okay, so uh, I think uh, everybody's had time to answer, correct? Uh, so the actual correct answer for this is the letter F. So um, 
I know there's a multitude of things there, but uh, we're going to talk about each of these. Uh, obviously, reliability culture change is very important within your organization. So everybody has to be on the uh, on the same page when we start doing reliability-wise, trying to make an, uh, an improvement in the program. So a CMMS is very important in order to document everything, know where all which all of your assets are as well as all the work that's being done and work orders that are being generated. So uh, CMMS is actually very important. This one is my huge hit right here is asset criticality analysis. And, uh, you know, a lot of customers that we talk with, you know, they, they so a lot of them do have asset criticality, but uh, some of them don't. So it's like asset criticality is like a scoring, it's a scoring system to tell us what is the most critical assets down, which is our tier one assets that go down to our tier four assets, which are less important. So asset criticality is very important for safety wise, as well as uh, uh, being uh, keeping uh, uptime going, right? So we have to know which assets are the ones that are going to shut us down and which assets will, uh, you know, can just be, or maybe they're repairable or non-repairable and they, it, it all depends on what type of asset they are. And then of course, the last one here, D, is skills, training, and proper tools. Uh, our, in order to have the good resources we have within our companies, our people, our personnel have to have those skills and they have to go through the proper training to get those skills. And they must also have the proper tools. So when we talk about proper tools, we're talking about, uh, you know, do we have analyzers? Do we have sensors? Do we have, uh, let's say, ultrasonic technologies? Do we have thermography technologies? So there's a, a whole different, a whole uh, slew of, of technologies that we can have for tools-wise. And uh, we're going to talk about it in these slides. So thank you, everyone, for answering. So what is, oops, I went a little bit too fast. So what is condition monitoring? So condition monitoring, it's a process of monitoring machines and it's not just using sensors or uh, technology. It can also be a, by a, our sense of taste and smell and listening to a machine or even how the machine feels when we actually go up to it. So it's to determine the overall condition, uh, machines overall effectiveness is optimal for continuous operation especially if that machine is critical. And so we start talking about critical assets. We look at those tier one assets, uh, usually five to 10% of your assets that are within your plant. They're very critical. It is uh, very important for operation for them to keep on running. If one of these uh, tier one assets were to fail, it would shut down our, our plant. Maybe it would shut down a production line. Uh, it's kind of like a bottleneck in our process. So if this machine is critical, we definitely, you know, we, we definitely want to be monitoring that type of stuff. All right, so condition-based monitoring, it's, it's part of the technology that strives to uh, identify incipient faults. So what do we talk about incipient faults? Is it, you know, it doesn't have to be coming from an actual uh, a device or a sensor. It could actually be walking up to the machine and looking, hey, there's oil leaking. So, you know, it, it is a fault that we're seeing, right? Uh, vibration analysis will also give us uh, the, the option to tell us if we have bad bearings, if we have misalignment, unbalanced, there's all types of uh, different faults we can find. But CBM, the technology itself, you know, it helps improve our system and re reliability and our system availability. Uh, and it's reduction of direct maintenance costs. And reduction of direct maintenance costs is something that we'll talk in one of our case histories based on condition-based maintenance. Uh, and then condition-based maintenance is a set of maintenance actions based on real time, right? Uh, and which is obtained from monitoring various health indicative parameters, which we will get into what type, type of data is important for us to be monitoring for condition-based maintenance. 
So some of our condition monitoring technologies, uh, I'm sure everybody's not familiar with this, but vibration uh, monitoring and diagnostics and alignment and balancing our lube oil analysis, motor analysis, uh, infrared, ultrasonic, all of these are condition monitoring technologies. Um, so not every single technology may find the problem that we're looking for, but it, you know, vibration analysis and even oil analysis is a, a very good place to start. Uh, for more of uh, being a proactive maintenance strategy, we're looking to do a precision alignment and precision balancing. And we'll talk a little bit about that when we get into the, the maintenance strategy section. So techniques, we have offline, online, and continuous monitoring. Our offline techniques are more of a, a hands-on type of uh, technique where we're using a spectrum analyzer, we're using an infrared camera, we're doing uh, using an alignment tool, uh, maybe we have some type of oil quality, or maybe we're just doing oil sampling and getting oil samples sent off to the labs. Perhaps we're doing ultrasonic, we're looking for air leaks, we're looking for corona and electrical panels. Uh, there, there's all types of different offline stuff we can do. It's, it's more, more of offline when I talk about offline is where we're actually going into the plant. We have a technician, they're using a device and they are looking for faults within the, uh, within the plant. Our online systems are wireless or wired systems, and they are just taking uh, measurements at prescribed times daily. So we have all types of technology, especially in IoT now. We see you know, a lot of wireless sensors. We see a lot of wired uh, uh, systems that uh, actually take data based on when we program it to, right? Do we want it to take uh, data every hour? Do we want it to take data every you know, four hours, six hours, eight hours? It all depends on what we want to do. This type of technology can be wired or wireless. So it's not typically offline where we're walking around a plant and we're actually uh, you know, taking data with a handheld analyzer. This is more of a system that's put in place. And then finally, our continuous monitoring is a dedicated system, which uh, typically for, for uh, ProofTech Fluke, we use the VibeGuard, which gives us up to one second data. So this would be a system that's put in place uh, rather than an online system. So it may be wired, but we can actually do uh, we can actually do wired or wireless transfer with the continuous monitoring systems, but I just wanna get the, the three different categories that we offer is offline, online, and continuous monitoring. So which technique can be done remotely? If you said all, you are correct. And what data matters to us? There are all sorts of data that is very important to us. And there may be some data I missed in this uh, slide that I put in here, but you know, vibration is important, right? We wanna know what the, what, how, that, how much that machine is vibrating. Power, how much power consumption, how much load look like. Pressures, pressures obviously very important in, uh, you know, in flow. And then ultrasonic could tell us if uh, we have air leaks, if we have bad bearings, if we have corona problems. Our oil quality, the only way to protect our machinery is to have, uh, is able to look at the oil, right? So protect our machinery from, uh, you know, losing that viscosity, that protection that we have. Uh, visual inspection, visual inspection is probably number one on my list because uh, it, we could have all this type of technology put on a machine. And if we don't have somebody actually put eyes on that type of machinery uh, in any given day, there could be things that are missed, you know, simple, uh, this valve was closed off or, Maybe there's a, a oil leaks, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, so visual inspection is very important when it comes to what data matters. It's not just a sensor. So 
Maybe we don't know how many hours the machine are operating. Or definitely an important one for doing vibration analysis is what is the machine speed? And then lastly is temperature, right? We want to know uh, if stuff's getting hot, we want to make sure that we, uh, you know, it's not getting too hot to cause us failure. So all this data matters. Uh, if there's, uh, if we don't have data, we don't know, we can't really track the condition uh, based uh, maintenance, correct? So, or actually condition based monitoring. So we, in order to have this type of monitoring that we want, we have to have data. Data is very important. So number two question, uh, what condition is responsible for 50% or more of machine failures in a plant? And uh, Robin, for some reason, I'm not seeing what you were seeing earlier, so. So if you could just give me an idea when we're close to having a bunch of responses. And unfortunately, I can't see your responses, but I'll give you 30 more seconds. Derek, I'm sorry, I'm talking away and didn't realize I was on mute. Um, A's <laughs> and C's, lots of A's and A's. C's. Okay, thank you, Robin. <laughs> mm -hmm. All right, so what condition is responsible for 50% or more of machine failures in your plant? And actually it's misalignment. Uh, a lot of uh, a lot of times that we put uh, machinery back into service, we don't do precision alignment, and we end up causing failures due to that. So uh, the actual, you know, 50% or more machine failure is caused by misalignment. Unbalance. If you put a unbalance, is obviously a, a, a also can cause machine failure. But I think unbalance can be, you know, seen a little bit. Uh, you can actually see them balance a little bit better. You can feel it. You put your hand on the machine. You might be able to feel a misalignment somewhat because it's not so ripe, but uh, misalignment definitely happens. You know, we put new machines in service. We, we just kind of, you know, we don't use precision alignment. Maybe we use a dial indicator. Perhaps we have somebody who is not very fluent in doing alignment and uh, maybe they use dial indicators and they, they did something wrong. And But typically what we see is that 50% or more of the machine failure is due to misalignment. So thank you for your responses. All right, who needs condition monitoring? Seven factors to consider. Our number one factor for condition monitoring is safety. Safety is always our number one concern. Uh, if, if we have some type of processes that can cause problems, like uh, let's say a, a turbine deck blowing up, right? Obviously, that is very not a very safe condition. So when we think about condition monitoring, some of our more critical assets, stuff, assets that can cause, uh, you know, uh, injury or death to personnel. Safety is always a number one concern for condition monitoring. Uh, how about what else? The likelihood of, likelihood of failure. What is the likelihood that this asset is going to fail? Um, 
And is, is it possible for the acid not to fail? Maybe we've had a machine, a compressor, let's say we have this uh, centrifugal compressor, been running 25 years, we've never had a failure, just real small, maybe maintenance fixes and that's it. But uh, so likelihood of failure is another thing to consider for condition monitoring. How about being able to detect the failure? Are we able to detect that failure? Is it up on the roof and in the rafters and nobody can get up there to check an exhaust fan? Or is it something that we can't go into an area where uh, maybe it's uh, you know it's personnel are not allowed to be in there because explosive hazard. So uh, detectability of the failure, can we detect that failure? And are we able to, by either looking at it or putting technology on it, there's, there's all kinds of factors that come and play with that. How about the occurrence of the failure? I kind of mentioned in the beginning, we talked about, you know, mean time between failure, mean time to repair. There's all kinds of stuff like the, or kind of situations to consider, like or is the occurrence of the failure, does it happen often or does it not happen so often? That would be also another factor for, for condition monitoring. Acid criticality, we go back to acid criticality again, like I said in the beginning of the slides, this is very important to know what my tier levels of my assets are. If I, for instance, let's say I have a tier one assets, what I said before was uh, five to 10% of your most critical assets in there. And uh, I have tier four assets, we'll call them one horsepower motors that, you know, just fail. Are we, you know, are we going to, you know, go down on a Saturday and have, you know, in, in just a situation I like to talk to customers about, like for a tier four asset, you're not going to have a, you're not going to have somebody go in and do overtime on a Saturday when the plants closed down just to change this tier one asset uh, for overtime or kind of stuff, right? So like asset criticality is very important in order for us to know uh, what's our, our highest tier and what our lowest tiers are. Uh, maintenance strategy, what is your maintenance strategy? Do you, are you proactive? Are you reactive? Uh, do you use predictive? Do you use uh, preventative or condition-based maintenance? So that's some of the things we'll talk about, you know, factors to consider for the, uh, for your condition monitoring based on maintenance strategy. And then also, what skills and training do I have within my plant? Do I have the resources in my plant in order to perform condition monitoring? So these seven factors is what I like to look at prior to, you know, jumping into throwing throwing any kind of uh, any kind of technology into the mix. So, all right, safety. We talked about this is the number one factor uh, we're considering condition monitoring. And also for when we're doing our asset criticality analysis, safety should be our number one factor as well. Uh, if machine failure can cause injuries, again, talking about safety, I had mentioned this before. Uh, so if it causes injury or fatalities, do we, do we need condition monitoring? Do we need interlocks? Do we need guarding, implementing controls, or is all this stuff kind of stuff necessary? And absolutely it is. The likelihood of failure. Talk about likelihood of failure. Uh, so what is the definition? So failure, it's not just a bearing failing. It's not just a seal failing. It's the actual function of the asset that you're that you are monitoring or that you have in your plant. So let's say, you know, for instance, if our the availability of our asset to perform its intended function based on the specified conditions we give it, and some examples of functional failure would be fan not providing enough CFM, right? The fan's running. Right? Does that mean that it's actually uh, functioning correctly? If it's not providing the the actual uh, CFM we need to do our or to do production, that might be an issue. Or how about a pump not creating enough flow? 
is that a functional failure? Yes, it is, right? We're, our pump is not putting out enough that we need. Maybe it's for cooling tower, uh, put out cooling water. Maybe that pump is not creating enough flow uh, for the cooling process. And then other, obviously, uh, functional failures with the bearing, sealing, or coupling failure. So how about post-secondary failures? Is anything for a functional failure can cause post-secondary? And the answer is absolutely. So it can cause problems with environment, right? I'm sure everybody knows that uh, you, know, you drive down the road and you see those big stacks putting out a bunch of steam. Uh, you know, those are environmental hazards. Well, let's say that the that steam's coming from a tank and that tank you know, starts to fail, right? So it's also a secondary failure. Maybe the pump is not providing enough flow to that tank and uh, it's causing problems with the, uh, it's causing problems for the tank to actually uh, have a function of failure. Safety issues again, uh, remember number one, number one safety issue. Let's talk, you know, secondary failure could be the cooling tower process, which I kind of just mentioned. And how about production processes, suction rolls in a paper mill, right? If we don't have uh, suction going through, and I don't know how many pe people are involved with uh, paper and pulp, but uh, that process of that uh, that pulp going over a uh, a suction area of a of, of a uh, or a fortinier, we'll call it uh, the fortinier itself. If you don't have the proper suction, you're not going to get that paper mix right, and you're not going to get to that press section into the dryer section and have quality paper, right? So there's not just functional failures, but there's post-secondary functional failures based on you know what type of failures we can see. Yep. Detectability, can the failure be detected? Is the asset easy to get to? Is it, like I said, is it up in the roof and the rafters where nobody can see it? Or maybe it's in an area that's controlled where we can't go into. So, and can the fa failure be seen? What is the likelihood that we can diagnose it correctly? You know, is it intermittent? Is it turn on and off all the time? Is it variable speed? You know, so thinking about this type of stuff is like, you know, am I going to be able to detect the failure by using condition monitoring or not? And what technology is necessary? You know, all the technology we talked about earlier, you know, we, we have vibration and ultrasound, motor current. There's so many different technologies out there. Which one is the right one for the application that you're using? Occurrence of failure. These are important metrics to know. So mean time between failure I mentioned earlier. So how often between how often does it fail? Is it run for a year? Does it have infant mortality? Does it have end of life mortality? There's all kinds of uh, situations to understand on an asset. So uh, we won't get too deep into that. And how about mean time to, re to repair for our repairable items? You know, how long is it taking for this motor to put in service? And within how many months or how many years does that motor need to be repaired again, right? How critical, the occurrence of failure again, how critical is the asset? We talked about our tier one through tier four assets, tier one being our top five, 10% that will shut down our plant. So how, you know, this is important metrics to know how critical is. And uh, is the asset uh, a repairable, non-repairable? And is there budgetary concerns based on, you know, if it's just a, a, a non-repairable, something that we're just gonna toss out, do we really need to put condition monitoring on something like this, right? So that's another situation to think about prior to using condition monitoring technology. All right, asset criticality. I love talking about asset criticality and basically uh, asset criticality is a scoring matrix, right? You've got your top people in the, in the plant that are going through all these processes with you. You have a team that gets together and based it off of uh, what's the impact to production? What is the safety factor? What is the utilization? What is our spares? Everything, it puts everything into 
a matrix. It gets rid of all the emotional feelings that uh, you know people within within the plant might have, saying, "Well, I think this one's going to fail, or I think that one's going to fail, or I feel that this can happen." Using an asset criticality matrix will help you determine which assets are more critical and which ones you should put condition monitoring on. And does your company have one? Is it good? And I'm, I'm, I'm sure that uh, a lot of people on the call today, your company most likely has something like this put in place, even if you don't know it. Let's talk about our maintenance strategies. Now, reactive maintenance, reactive maintenance pretty much known as run to failure, right? It's, uh, it is actually a, a, a strategy, you know, it's nothing the, some companies have the strategy where, hey, it doesn't cost me a lot to replace that. I don't have a long lead time. Uh, maybe I have the, uh, the asset in my spares already, or maybe it's just cost-wise, it's cheaper to get rid of it and just replace it. So uh, run to failure is, is a maintenance strategy for, for some items. The more critical kind of equipment, that probably strategy is not the best thing to have, but, uh, but reactive maintenance is a strategy. Uh, preventative maintenance, obviously we're doing our PMs, we're doing a, a periodic skate or a periodic schedule. We're based on maybe it's a 30 days, you know, 90, 120, so many months. So preventative maintenance is actually going through. Maybe we're doing uh, seal changes every so often. Maybe we're changing oil. So there's a there's a lot of things that preventative maintenance is good for. Predictive or condition-based maintenance, you know, it's depending on the machine health. And a lot of companies in a lot for you know decades now have been starting to get into condition-based maintenance because it is more cost effective. So instead of going through my preventative maintenance and saying every 30 days, hey, I got to go in and change this seal or this bearing or what it may be, instead now using predictive maintenance like vibration or ultrasound or wheel analysis, I might be able to extend those cycles out a little bit longer and only repair it when vibration is showing me that there's an actual issue, right? It tells us what the actual health of the machine is. And we're going to talk about a case history at the end of this uh, presentation about a customer of ours that actually uses this strategy. So, and lastly, we have Derek, I apologize. It may just be me, but I'm not hearing you.
I'm sorry, I'm still not hearing you, Derek. I apologize. Um, for our audience, or can someone ping in either chat or the Q&A if you can hear Derek okay? Apologies, Derek, still nothing. I wonder if, as inconvenient as it may be for you, I wonder if we need to have you log out and log back in. Can you hear me? I can hear you now. Can you hear me now? Is I it can coming hear you in now. Clear or no? Is it coming in clear? It is coming in clear now. Okay. Apologies okay. for the interruption. Sorry, folks. <laughs> uh, let me go back to skills and training. Uh, so the skills and training part is very important for our, you know, for our personnel to un understand what's going on. We do have another option around this is that we can hire third parties to come in and, and do the work for us. Uh, you know, but in order to get that buy-in from management or from personnel, we really have to have the skills and training from, from our employees that are within our company. They must be taught the way in order to, uh, become good at doing this type of, uh, even proactive maintenance of that. And there's all different types of skills and training you can go through. Uh, reliability engineering, obviously there's a, a different certification, CMRP, CRP, ARP, you know, there's the Slovius Institute, there's quite a few of them. Uh, ISO vibration, excuse me, <laughs> certification levels, one through three, maintenance, lubrication, thermography, ultrasound, even product and software training, you know, having uh, you purchase products and software from a company, maybe, you know, when you're buying this type of stuff, maybe you get, you know, uh, training thrown in there on the product and software itself rather than just trying to hit it head on. Or, you know, you can always send your personnel to training for the new product and software you're having. CMMS training and utilization training is very important because if we have a CMMS system, which is one of our, uh, I want to call it one of our pillars of reliability because without a CMMS, it's, it's kind of difficult to track what we are doing and uh, we definitely want to be able to uh, know what we, the acid is, the actual idea of the acid when we go to repair it and also what kind of maintenance history is on it, what kind of work orders are on it. So CMMS is a very important or train, we have to train our personnel on how to use the CMMS correctly. So there's a lot of companies out there that have CMMS and there's a lot of people in their companies that don't even want to touch it because they're just afraid to use it. So, and then Obviously, changing that reliability culture is, uh, you know, organizational plant reliability policies, right? We have to put policies in place within our company in order to uh, see a return on reliability. So, um, you know, maybe it's uh, getting more into uh, lean manufacturing. Maybe it's more into, uh, hey, every, every month we're going to do route-based vibration or however it is. So writing policies within the company kind of gives everybody the understanding of is this how everything should be done and this is what uh, this is what our policy is. So what technology? So we talked about earlier the techniques that we have. We have offline, which is all of our handheld kind of stuff. Uh, you can see the vibration analyzer in the top left corner. We have online, which is wireless or wired, but in this situation here, we have a wireless device. And then also continuous monitoring. So our continuous monitoring is can take sec or data up to one second. And uh, 
gives us like exactly to the second what is going on with that piece of equipment. So these are the three different techniques that we focus on. So I kind of talked about this again, but offline systems, we can put vibration and speed and process conditions into our handheld analyzer. We have somebody go out, we have a third party or we have somebody in-house, they go and they do route-based vibration. They can also, with certain analyzers, do advanced analytics right there at the machine. So uh, this is more of our offline systems type of stuff. We put it into a, a dashboard or into a software where we can do the FFT analysis, look at trends, look at process changes, all kinds of stuff, right? So all our data, that's important data, right? Our wireless online systems, we kind of talked about the, you know, the wireless sensor itself. We, we actually, it's a sensor that talks to a gateway and the gateway sends the information up to the cloud and then we can view it pretty much anywhere we are. Uh, if we have a phone, if we are on the computer, if we have a tablet, we can look at that data and it's all online. So this is another uh, way that we perform uh, one of our techniques for condition monitoring. And lastly, our, our continuous systems, we can get all types of information from a continuous system, uh, speed, process, temperature, everything that you can think of, you can pretty much uh, get into this one system. So the important thing about tracking data is, is that if we're just taking vibration data and we're not getting process, maybe, a, or let's say a flow, or we're not getting a, a oil condition or something like that, we might not see why the changes in vibration happen as we look at that trend, right? Because we don't see the other processes that are there. So when you're looking at continuous systems and looking at taking data, all that information is important in order to make a uh, correct di diagnosis on what's going wrong with the machine. And welcome to the age of technology. Everything now is connected, right? Everything connected through different pieces of equipment. It all goes to into a central data system. Now we have machine learning and we have uh, predictive analytics and, uh, you know, we can look at trends. We can get notifications via email or maybe just on-screen kind of uh, notifications. You know, we, CMMS can all be connected to this now. So uh, there is all types of way to stay connected with all three of these different techniques that we have. And, uh, for instance, it shows alignment. So here I went and did alignment on my uh, motor and pump, and I take all my numbers and it gets fed back into my CMS. So next time, or maybe there's a machine failure down the road, maybe I can go back into my CMS and say, oh, here's my alignment numbers for next time. It tells me how good or bad it was. And remember we said, you know, 50% of machine failure is caused by misalignment. So this is good kind of numbers to know. Uh, work order management, we can see which work orders were written based on what our vibration, uh, what our vibration uh, uh, data collection told us. So, you know, whatever, let's say the vibration was high in one, a work order was generated. So now CMMS, we can go into and look at this. So everything is connected into one. Important need to know stuff. So when we start looking in the, if we decided that, hey, let's, we're ready for technology. These are some of the uh, important things you need to know. And when we're looking at sensors, you know, the first portion of looking at sensors is frequency range and the analysis features they have. So if I'm looking at sensors and I don't know uh, if some of your vibration analysts, which I'm sure you are, they're on this call or reliability engineers that have been doing this, but uh, when bad bearings start, they start at very high frequencies. If this is my low frequency and this is my high frequency, you know, 
if I have a sensor that doesn't go out to where these uh, you know these bad frequencies or bad bearings start at, I'm not going to see it till it's down here if I don't have that good frequency range. So this is a you know good place to start thinking about hardware and software capabilities. You know what is the analysis features of the software, and what is the sensor frequency range? This is very important to talk about. Environment or envir excuse me, <laughs> environmental rating. So these sensors are out in the field. Maybe they're on the roof of a plant that's out in the middle of Indiana, and there's probably about four inches snow in Indiana right now because I'm in Chicago and it's very snowy. Uh, can it handle the weather? Can it handle, you know, is it uh, is it class one div one? Is it, you know, it needs to be intrinsically safe. So you need to know the environmental capabilities of the hardware that you're looking for. Uh, sensor capability, is it a vibration and temperature sensor? Is it a piezoelectric crystal sensor, which is obviously more of our higher range sensors, or is it a digital MEMS? So all that is, a, is very important to know. Does the software offer early detection, such as enveloping? Is it looking at the very high frequencies out there where bearings are starting at and giving them, you know, modulation to look at a lower, to look for the metal-to-metal impacting the bearings or whatever else is going on in the, in the actual asset? So does the software have early detection, which is important to find the uh, fault frequencies early? How many directions does that sensor take uh, vibration? Is it just one point? Is it all three points? You know, is it a triaxial sensor? So that's something else you need to know. Uh, how about, does it have machine learning? And does it have alarm specifications built in the software? So does it have, where it's gonna give me a, a, an email or a warning light saying that, hey, I'm above vibration level. So that's something else to think about. What's the mounting technique? You know, uh, you know typically the best mounting is a epoxy mount or stud mounting, right? So. But in order to go around your plant and stud mount everything, that is kind of a tedious task and a very risky task. So if the sensor can only be mounted stud mount, you got to think about it that, hey, you, you know, it's, it could be a very delicate situation that you want to be careful for. So mounting technique is important. And how about power consumption? If I have a, a, a wireless sensor and, you know, batteries only last in six months, what's my, you know, I have 100 of these sensors in my plant and the batteries last six months. Think about you know, how much is going to cost me to buy batteries in, a, in, a, in six months because you know, the power is so, you know, so draining on the uh, sensor itself. So power consumption is another thing that's important need to know. And just looking at the a data sheet that if I was looking here, you can see how the frequency range capabilities, usually in your data sampling, you'll see everything here. They'll tell you what your frequency range is and and this one in the Z direction, the Z direction, or axial direction, we're going out at 10,000 hertz, which is very high frequency, which is very good for us to find. Uh, it's, it's for us to find early defects in bearings way ahead of time before they start. So, and obviously our X and Y directions are a little bit lower, but uh, still gives us an idea of what's going on. Uh, we want to know what our, you know, our measurement range is. So what's in temperature wise? Well, how, how hot can the sensor, what can it withstand? So do I have a process that's in an oven or a dryer of a paper mill that's above 185 degrees? Well, obviously then, you know, that type of situation may not work out for that sensor. So this is stuff you need to look at prior to purchasing any kind of condition monitoring equipment. Um, if you see here, we have environmental. Uh, this one is IP67 rated. So it's good for, uh, it's good for, and it's good for wet, but not it's submerged. So IP67, it's good for dust, that kind of stuff. So 
you know, you definitely want to make sure that you're looking at your environmental, especially if you're going to put these sensors in an area that can't handle uh, maybe dust or you know, a lot of water, stuff like that. So, and then here again, we talked about power consumption. And this one actually says that the battery lasts up to five years. So this is something else important to look at. And then at the bottom here, you see, is there what kind of software? What does it give me? Is it giving me a trend? Is it giving me a, a spectrum, a time waveform? Is it giving me early detection, uh, acceleration enveloping? That's the kind of things that you want to look at prior to uh, getting involved with the uh, condition monitoring systems. All right, so we've talked about who needs it, what it is. Uh, there's been all kinds of different things we've talked about. So now we're going to talk about remote condition monitoring itself. So our approach here is uh, we have a recurring remote condition service, and we have three different categories of it. We have a continuous event monitoring, periodic condition assessment, and then remote expert on demand. So just like it sounds, continuous event, as the event occurs, we get that trigger. So this is something here at Fluke that I do, where uh, we have wireless sensors out there, uh, or we have uh, VibeGuard units that are set out there. As soon as we get an alert, you know, we're, we're, and it's something that requires analysis, we are sending an event report to the customer. So uh, periodic condition assessment is more of a periodic kind of uh, uh, reporting, where in the periodic, we're giving you an actual spreadsheet. And I have some examples on my next page, but it could be based on a month, a quarter, biannually, yearly, it all depends on what you're looking to do. And then our remote expert on demand, what we offer here at Fluke, is we actually offer an expert remotely. So you have uh, technology in your plant and uh, you don't know what you're looking at, you can contact us and we will actually help you either optimize the uh, alarms, optimize or uh, optimize the database itself, or we can actually help you do the analysis too. So this might continuous event monitoring. As soon as alarms trigger, an notification is sent, like I mentioned before, and then analysis performed remotely by a certified vibration analyst, and it is sent through email uh, if anomaly is detected. So this is kind of what our event reports look like. Uh, it's just basically assets and the area components and recommendations and the corrective actions kind of stuff, or excuse me, findings with observations and then recommendations for corrective action. Periodic condition assessment. This is based on how many reports uh, can be generated per year. It all depends on what the what the customer is looking for. We can do one month, we can do 12 months, we can do one every month. It all depends on what schedule you like. This is more of a over or a high level overview of what's going on with each of the assets and telling you like uh, what the priority is, if it's high, low, medium. You know, kind of gives you uh, an idea what the health of the asset is. Also, we have uh, this. The right half of it tells us if your CMS system, or excuse me, your CMS system, your condition monitoring system is having issues. Maybe there's sensor connectivity issues. Maybe uh, maybe somebody, uh, maybe the connection to the internet, maybe the got disconnected somehow, you know. So we also can see that type of stuff through doing remote condition monitoring. And this is the kind of report that's given. It's just the overall health of uh, the severity of everything that's in your plant. And we have it based on open events. So you see the center of the screen it basically tells us what the open events are. Uh, closed events after there's been repairs done, the closed events, it stays on the periodic condition report. This way we can see progressively wise, 
but also in your CMS system, which would be documented, but we also have it here in, in the record. And our remote expert on demand, it's typically me remotely, like how I am right now. So, uh, you know, we can do everything from database configurations and alarm settings uh, to ISO factors and, uh, you know, we can help analysis or do analysis and problem solving perhaps uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to balance the span and touch something wrong. I don't can't figure out why it's wrong. We can ask you to send us a snapshot. You know, this could be offline, online, or continuous uh, monitoring systems. So all three techniques we can do this type of analysis for. So uh, maybe I have a family like I said, I can't figure out why you send us the data. Maybe we find out, well, you have a resident condition, or maybe you have looseness on the bearings, or you have structural looseness or something. So we can help determine that for you uh, based on our remote expert on demand uh, program. And also we can offer remote mentoring. So if there's something that you're not sure about, if uh, you wanna know, hey, what's what's this, uh, all these different data, uh, like inches per second and RMS and peak to peak and zero peak, there's any type of questions you have in vibration analysis alone, we will help you with that. So that's kind of our remote expert on demand package. And getting down the case histories. Where are we at with time? Robin? That's Robin. All right, we'll continue. Let's go through some of our case histories. My case history number one. Uh, this is for our offline remote uh, condition monitoring. So this is offline. Remember, we talked about this handheld devices. This is where we actually have a customers that are taking their own data and they are sending it into us. And we have a, a customer in California along the coastline. Uh, they are oil and gas customer. And uh, they have limited resources uh, on uh, analyzing data. So they've partnered up with Fluke uh, back in 2022 based on uh, on the actual case history, or excuse me, based on the actual solution that we provided, the customer was able to save 30% of the preventative maintenance costs based on the condition based maintenance that, you know, with the remote condition monitoring we were offering. So a uh, pretty large customer, uh, it was $450,000 saved based on doing this type of offline remote condition monitoring. We have customers that send us data all the time, and this is kind of how, you know, it's basically them doing the routes and they send it over to us. We're doing the analysis and then reporting right back to them. So uh, this is where it was kind of success where I think $450,000 on, on a PM budget is, is pretty uh, good return on ROI. Then I have a second case history where uh, we had a customer that makes OSB board. Uh, they actually had a failure. They, they are monitoring their own equipment, but they do rely on us for type of remote uh, expert uh, situations and the uh, customer had a, a gearbox fail out of four there was four gearboxes and let me just uh, pop four here there was four gearboxes on this actual uh, mill and the gearbox number one had failed they replaced it and they put it back in the service and after they put it back in the service uh, there was a, a frequency that was undetermined they couldn't say hey you know we don't know what this frequency is. It's all over the single uh, the whole mill itself. And uh, we don't know if we should keep running or not. So even, so their engineering department actually reached out to us saying, hey, 
know, we don't know if we should keep running. We keep seeing this. We don't know if something else is going to fail. And they were able to send us a, or let us log into the system and look at their data. And we determined that the problem was, was the bars that were going through here, they get spaced at different intervals based on the actual uh, product that's feeding through the, uh, that's feeding into the actual mill itself, right? And these chain drives drive this, uh, drive the conveyors all the way around. It's on a chain. So it's on a chain and sprocket drive. And uh, this, the actual frequency that was unknown was based on how the bars were paced, placed out in here. And when we determined what the frequency was, we informed the customer like, well, the frequency is coming from the, the, the rod and chain drive. And they, they, they automatically just went, oh, we know what's wrong. We didn't space out the bars how we were supposed to do it. And so, but they, you know, this company has a downtime of 30K per hour. Now they were down an hour already. And for us to figure it out within like 20, 30 minutes, that was, that was their kind of issue. We definitely, you know, definitely saved a lot of downtime. And uh, so for our remote expert on demand, something that we offer here at Fluke, it's a, it's a very beneficial program or partnership, I should say, uh, to, to have, so. Any questions? If you like, you can contact me. I thank you for everybody for joining. Uh, my name is Derek Lammel. Uh, I am here at Fluke. I'm a liability engineer here at Fluke. Uh, my email is derek.lammel at fluke.com. You can check out our website at www.fluke.com or www.prooftechnic.com. Derek, we have many, many questions actually. We will definitely not have time to get all to, to all of them, but we could probably do one or two if you have a moment for a couple of them. Sure. All right, the first question I have is, what role does remote conditioning monitoring play in optimizing service? Into optimizing service, so, what role does condition monitoring or remote condition monitoring have in optimizing service? So, uh, well, I guess it kind of comes down to uh, where our resources are at. So our skills and training, and if do we have the personnel that are trained? Do we have the personnel that have the actual, uh, you know, do they have the skills to actually take vibration data? Do they know what they're looking at, right? So um, if we don't have that type of, uh, type of resources in our plant, you know, partnering with Fluke, we can go into your plant and look exactly how things gotta be done. We can show how it has to be done. And understanding, I've been doing vibration 17 years, okay? So in order to understand what's going on with that uh, vibration signature that you're getting, or is it failing, you know? So optimizing uh, service would be where we're detecting a failure for you, where you have maybe possibly, because you don't have the resources or skills, to detect that failure. So uh, I would say optimizing service to remote condition monitoring will help us find those failures for you if you are not familiar on how to do that. So that would be <laughs> that would be my best uh, best answer for that. So all right Derek and another question I have is is let me let me see if I'm making this right. Would would like a copy of some I'm sorry, 
pardon me, is this a specific order or just seven points? Just seven points. Yeah. There's no specific specific order in this, but when I go back to my, my slides, you know, safety, safety, safety was talked about a lot. So the factor safety should always be number one. You know, safety personnel, you know, from injury or death, safety to your equipment, because you know, it's just a it's just a domino effect. If you're if you have a very critical piece of machinery and here you find that you have a problem with a bearing, let's say that, and you just keep running it, right? So that motor is coupled to, we'll say, a big centrifugal compressor, right? And we know we have a bearing problem, and that bearing fails in that motor and locks up. And what happens? You know, can we cause damage? You could cause further damage, you know, because of that failure. So um, there's no specific list on how I chose those. That's just something that uh, in my journey that I found, that especially with a lot of our customers, is that, you know, and, not to say it wrongly, but uh, there's I've seen so many customers just want to buy, 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 and we're going to throw all this stuff here, there, and everywhere, and not understand, like, can I detect this failure, or is the what's the likelihood of failure? So there is no specific priority on any of those. It was more of a just saying these are the seven things that I talk about uh, when I talk with customers. All right, and then. Do these systems work with other CMMS systems or does it only communicate with eMate? So I may not be the best person to answer that, but I know eMate, uh, I believe, and don't quote me on this please because I'm, I'm not sure, but I can get the resources to answer the question a little bit better for you. I believe uh, IBM and the SAP may talk to them, uh, but I don't have the knowledge myself. I would have to reach out to eMate. So as of right now, my answer would be eMate does talk to them, but there may be other other uh, uh, CMMS systems that do talk within that system. And it might be only, what I'm thinking is that IBM SAP talk to eMate. So um, I could definitely get those answers for you. If you're gonna email me, I can uh, I can find that answer for you or direct it to the right person to give that answer to you. All right, and we have time for one more question, if you don't mind. Can the monitoring system be used on a cellular network? Due to IT regulations, we may not be able to have these on our network. There, there are, so I know there's, for, typically for what we use ours for, it's either Wi-Fi or Ethernet, but I have heard of a option where cellular can be used and I don't know where we are in that uh, process. Uh, so that, that would be another discovery. I would have to talk with development, but we have talked about doing it uh, through a cellular connection. I just don't know where we're at with that in the project. But again, if you want to email me, uh, I can uh, forward you to development and to the product managers uh, to get the correct responses on it. All right, well, thank you so much today, Derek, for your time. That was an amazing presentation. Tons of kudos coming in uh, for you in the Q&A. So uh, we really appreciate your time today. 